Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Hello, everyone, and welcome into Tunnel Vision, a show presented to you by uscfootball.com. I'm your host, Jack Smith, joined in studio by Ryan Abraham and Shotgun Spratling. That new intro, first of all, was pretty awesome. Make sure you guys are leaving your comments on the show as we're going to break down USC's matchup with Cal last night, where they won 41-35. to You can leave your comments here in the chat wherever you're watching. We can put them up on the screen, or you can call in 512-4-TUNNEL to leave your thoughts as we discuss USC's win 41-35 to over Cal. Guys, how's it going? They're doing all right. We got shotgun in studio, which was cool. Uh, give Chris the night off, and uh, you know, it's okay. But yeah, we got shotgun, which is always nice. Uh, we got a weird week uh, practice on Monday and Tuesday this week because they got the Friday game against Colorado. No costumes this week on the show like we had last week. That went over well. You, you missed the costume show. I think you would have liked it. I saw the costume show. You might have liked it. I think I texted in to correct something from the costume show. Oh, you probably know. did. Yeah. I'm uh, constantly editing these days. What would you have worn? Uh, I was a referee for the for Halloween. Uh, Pac-12 ref, where you throw a lot of flags. I was not a Pac-12 ref because I didn't have enough hankies around to. You need a you lot know, of flags. You got to have a lot for to be a Pac-12 ref. So, yeah, you know, I didn't want. To, I was, you know, I was in the Philadelphia area, so I was getting booed a lot. Uh, you know, just walking down the street. So <laughs> throwing batteries at you and stuff. Much less if I was a Pac-12 ref. I think they. I think even the Philly fans know to uh, to attack the Pac-12 refs even a little bit harder. So. Uh, no, but it, it was fun. Fun Halloween, um, and glad to be in studio. Yes. If you guys know this or not, I know we're going to talk about this football thing. Basketball yes. season starts tomorrow, Ryan. What do you, what are get excited? La, 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 la. Get excited. I know. I talked to Dave Tuttle, the <laughs> basketball SID in the in the uh, press box yesterday. So basketball is starting up, but we're going to talk about football, USC at homecoming. Make sure you smash that like button and please subscribe to our YouTube channel. Smash it. Just hit it a whole bunch of times. Tell your friends. Share it. We need lots of likes uh, on there, and uh, it's great. We love having these live shows. Uh, for you, retweet it if you're on Twitter and all that kind of stuff. And if you do want to call in, you can do 514 Tunnel. We will take some live calls this evening. Try to keep them brief if you can. Just like, you know, quick question, not 10 questions. We don't need to hear a million things, but like we'd love to talk about what you want to talk about, but let's try to keep it brief so we can keep the show moving. And if you're on in the chat room, there's a whole bunch of people chatting on our YouTube channel. Uh, put question up front, all caps, that'll help. And then uh, Jack can kind of star that and go back and look at it later. So, yeah, but we got we got to talk about homecoming, Jack. USC, they had the LAFC, the MLS Cup going on. I'm trying to get, you know, try to park, and it's crazy. There's just a million people around because they just won the they just won the uh, MLS Cup, the LAFC. So it was kind of a crazy day around the, the Coliseum. 
Yeah, I feel like for the LAFC fans, it's a win they can be happy about. For USC fans, it's a win. Not sure how good you can feel about the win. Shotgun and I talked about it on instant analysis yesterday. It's a win for the USC. They're 8-1, and one, but still, the defense, not a great performance. They couldn't pull away yet again from an inferior opponent. They only end up winning by six at home on homecoming. So I guess that maybe that's where we start is, even though it's a win for the Trojans, how good do you think it should feel, and how good does it feel to you? Yeah, I think the, the term I would use, and maybe USC fans could correct me, but I would say unsatisfying. You know, like, uh, you had a meal, you ate, you, you ate, you're full, but it was a lot of, like, broccoli and, like... <laughs> ends of Brussels sprouts and stuff. You weren't really satisfied. You weren't like, ah, oh, there's like this juicy burger or cutting of the steak. You were like, I'm full, but you know, it was like rice peel off and some, you know, it just, it wasn't a satisfying win, especially knowing the way USC could have pulled away multiple times. And Lincoln Riley talked about that too. I mean, Jack and I were talking about this off air, uh, never felt that the game was in danger, even though for the second week in a row, it came down to an onside kick. Like USC technically could have lost. If, if Cal gets that onside kick, they're probably winning that game. But I didn't feel that the, the result was going to be in danger. Maybe that's just me being naive, but I, it, it didn't feel satisfying. You know, they score 41 points, but giving up 35 to a, a really bad Cal offense. I've watched this Cal team a lot. They are not good on offense. Jack Plummer, he looked at the, the most he ever throw this season, 278 yards against UNLV. That was his high. He throws for 406 against the USC defense. So, most touchdowns he threw all year, three. Highest cl- completion percentage, 71 point whatever percent. Um, yeah, that's not good. So uh, I would say unsatisfying. I don't know what you think. I mean, it was bad defense. Um, made it for an, an interesting game at the end. But it's, it's it wasn't even a tale of two halves. It was a tale of three quarters versus the fourth quarter. Because USC gave up 21 points in the fourth quarter. Yeah. Um, you know, after giving up a touchdown in the opening drive where they just missed tackles. And then seemed to like lock in, like okay, let's get back in this. And they played good defense for you know the next two and a half quarters, and then suddenly couldn't make a stop for anything. And it was they had opportunities, you know they had uh, after the onside kick that that Cal had, they had three third down um, uh, attempts to yeah. to get off the field. And one of those is, and granted, I think Cal's going to end up going for it on fourth down, but one of those is it's third and seven. They just throw a little swing pass to Jay Knott. It was kind of a, a little bubble screen. Um, to get him out in, in some space. And Makai Blackman and Shane Lee are both there, and they go shoulder pad to shoulder pad with him on both sides. Neither one of them goes for the legs. And then he turns and kind of twists and goes ahead for three more yards and picks up first down. Like, that's just bad. That's bad tackling form. You know, if you're a cornerback, you can't be going shoulder pad to shoulder pad. And if you're Shane Lee as the second defender coming in, you shouldn't be trying to go shoulder pad to shoulder pad, especially when you see someone is already at that same height. you got to go at a different height and take out the legs, especially of a running back like Jaden Knott. So there's there's areas that need to be improved, obviously, and, and tackling is one of them. But the technique was not there. It wasn't just that they were missing tackles, but you're not even aiming at the right point. Uh, at, at that, especially at that stage in the game, where you, you know you need to be hitting people low to take them down, uh, so that was you know really disappointing to see because they had missed the tackles the last two games, um, and I was interested to see how they would bounce back from that. And according to Pro Football Focus, they had 11 missed tackles on their initial review of the game uh, after having you know 38 the, the previous two games, so a little bit better. And you could say at least three of those were on the opening drive. So for yeah. the rest of the game, they only had eight, which is not terrible. That's you know right in the zone you want to be at. You know that six to ten range, and you feel feel good with that. But it's just you know they're in the impact moments. 
they didn't make the plays. And that's disappointing because that's what this defense had done so much the first five games of the season is when the plays needed to be made, hey, bend but don't break, bend but don't break, bend but don't break, interception. Or you get that stop, you force the fourth down, you force the field goal attempt, and they just didn't do that in the at the end of that game against uh, against Cal. And I don't know what the the answer is there. And you, it seemed from Makai Blackman's response and from Alex Grinch's interview after the game, Makai Blackman, you know, as I said on instant, you know, he was asked two questions in the the, the primary post game press conference and answered in twelve to fifteen yeah, words. He did not talk like much. two sentences. That was it. And you see, so you tell the frustration there. And then Alex Grinch just say, you know, talking about how you know how frustrating it is for him as well. And Kalen Bullock used the word frustrating as, as well. So, you know, they're in position, but there were a lot of tips. They didn't get any of those tips. They had chances to get off the field on third down, didn't get off the field on third down. So, you know, it's in the combination. The pass rush isn't getting enough time to get there because when they're in their zone coverages, there's guys wide open. And then when they're in man coverage, you know, they gave up the big strikes on the slot fades on Sierra Wright getting the double move. You know, there were a couple of big-time plays, uh, vertical plays, and if you're giving up those and you're giving up the underneath stuff, like then there's no answer at all. Like I, if you're Alex Grinch, you don't know what to call because you're not stopping either the the over-the-top stuff or the stuff in front, uh, and that makes it that much more difficult, and that also makes it that much more difficult in your pass rush to be able to try to get there because you can throw a fade really quickly. You can throw those quick hitches, the quick slants, you know that stuff against the zone coverages really quickly. Now, can you force them to run a 15-yard in because it's third and 12? Hey, now the, 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 the pass rush has a chance to go get somebody, and that's something that they weren't able to consistently do. Uh, when the pass rush had you know a, a little bit more time to get to the quarterback, you know they got there and uh, you know at least forced some some errant throws and forced some throws on the run and whatnot from Jack Plummer, which is obviously not what he's good at. And those were a couple of the ones that were just kind of up in the air, it seemed like for days. Yeah. And unfortunately, USC wasn't coming down with those either. Yeah, it was, I think those critical downs are important where when the stakes are raised and it's like third and seven, like, oh, they pick it up or whatever. Or like, you know, the, those kind of things. A lot of times you see it with a mobile quarterback. It's like third and long and the guy like the good coverage and, and then up the middle of the field's open. He runs. This was Jack Palmer like finding dudes and just keep converting on those down. I think they there was about 50 percent third down conversion like. If you haven't seen Cal before, like, and you look at Cal, you're like, okay, that's like a that's a good offense. It's, they, they are not like you would watch their offensive line just be a sieve and just give up. And that's what I really liked about like with the second quarter and stuff. They were running downhill. I think Shane Lee started one drive with a tackle for loss. Mm -hmm. He shot through the line. Tooley gets a sack after that. Like they were playing downhill. I talked to Shane Lee after the game, like playing downhill for a while, and it seemed like they backed off of it. Where I don't think that was your best defensive strategy was bring some heat and just force crap to happen in the backfield, like make things happen. You're dropping Tuli to the Pelotu back in coverage at time. Like never do that. Like, don't do that again. Like, I don't know what, what you're doing there, but for me, this was like, there was a winning formula that just get after Cal, just get after plumber. When you're getting some pressure in the backfield. Yeah. You might miss maybe someone, you get a PI in the backfield or whatever, but you, when you're playing like a soft zone and stuff, like it just, that wasn't working. I just wanted to see them get after it. And when they did for a while, it seemed like it was the time of the game they did. It worked. And then they sort of were playing a different strategy to me. And then it just wasn't working. Yeah. I've got to rewatch the second half a little bit closer. I kind of speed watched it today to, to get another angle on it after being on the field. But, you know, early you're playing, you can play more downhill when you're playing man coverage, um, you know, because you can attack because then you don't have that easy throw right over the middle. 
but they're getting burned over the top. So when it gets late in the game, you have a lead, you're probably not going to want to do that because you don't want to give it that big explosive play. You want to at least make them earn it and go down the field. So maybe that played into it. I know in that third and seven I was mentioning with Jaden Ott, the high tackling, you know, they brought a little bit of pressure on that one. That's why they try to get it out quick to Ott uh, out in the, in the flat. So, you know, Grinch is mixing things up. It's not like he's doing one thing and one thing only. Uh, I mean, he does a good job of mixing and stuff like that, but they've got to be able to be really good at one or the other. Yeah. Like, find something you're going to be really good at. And right now, that's the problem, is they're kind of just wishy-washy. They look good at times on some things, and they look bad at, at times on, on the same thing. So they just don't have any consistency, and that's the one thing that Makai Blackman, we, his one sentence was, we have to be more consistent on defense. Yeah. So, you know, that's the, the biggest thing going forward. And that starts with tackling, I think. You know, if you tackle, you give yourself that much more of a chance because, hey, that third and seven – if they hit him and tackle him at the spot, it's fourth and three. Yeah. Now you make them make a play on fourth down. And, hey, if it's an errant ball or someone gets their fingertip on it, so suddenly you get a turnover on downs. So it just changes the complexion when you know he picks up that first down and now it's first and goal from the two- or three-yard line versus it being fourth and three from the six. Uh, you know, it can be a completely different change. And, hey, you get off the field there, you know, suddenly the score doesn't look as close as this. You said you never felt like it was in danger. When they got to third and five – when USC got to third and five, I was like, they better pick this up or the game, they're going to lose this game. Yeah, but you could just, I trusted Caleb Williams to pick it up, you know, and like, I, yeah, I wasn't. With two downs. Yeah, I just never felt that the game was in danger. But you that, know, I, that two downs is very dangerous. So you can't you can't necessarily go fourth down because it's a six point game. It's not like you have a seven point, which I thought was a really interesting call by Cal to go for two in that point when they were down by eight. I mean, and they go for two to get down by six. I, I mean, Basically, that tells you that they felt like, and this is very similar to the Utah game when they went by went for two, a little bit different situation as far as the score going for the you know going for the win versus getting closer. But that tells me that Cal was like, they're not going to stop us. We might as well just go ahead and get two points instead of one. Whatever we're going to run right here is going to work, and that's not that's a very disconcerting thing um, as a defense coordinator, as a head coach to for the opposition with what you have called a very bad offense <laughs> to just be like, yeah, we'll, we'll score this. We might as I well think go it's an it. analytics thing where you're like, you're going late in the game. You're like, go for two now. And then, then you have a chance. If you don't get it, then you could just score a touchdown. I mean, if you get it, you can score a touchdown and win. If you don't get it, then you could still go for it again and tie. But yeah, like, you miss twice, then you'd end up losing if you score twice. But there's, I guess, it's just like an analytics. I mean, thing. it could also Jack's be young. That, he knows this stuff. It right? could also be that they got the the extra point prior to that swatted down. Uh, so there could be some things that played into it. But also, Nick Figueroa, by the you way, know, it, to him. me, you would it feels like yeah, we're going to score. We might as well just go for it. Yeah, yeah which bad. if I was the USC offense times, like I would go for two more often, but. I think when, it, they, when they're rolling, it's just like, nah, they're going to score. Might Especially well after score. they missed that extra point or botched the extra point. Man, that looked like a circus, by the way. That was Ringling Brothers stuff. So, And I, then I, believe, I thought they would go for a two at some point. They never did. I'm like, wow, that's kind of weird. I thought you might, maybe just right away afterwards. I got to go for two now. So, again, I got to check everything, uh, you know, when I pay a lot more attention, when I do my participation charts and whatnot. But I believe Jack Casasante uh, got injured on that play because I saw him with a big knee brace on later in the game. Uh, maybe it was a different play that he got injured on. But I believe Nathan Winetta came in as the, the backup long snapper at one point in the game. So, you know, that was interesting that, uh, you know, you have a backup in there as part of that operation. So if USC would have needed a field goal late, whoo, now suddenly uh, the pressure gets on a little bit. So, yeah, so, you know, so Harvey Hyde, I did the show with him this morning, and he had mentioned that. I didn't realize there was a backup snapper um, going in there, but apparently, yeah, but the 
it was a bad snap from the original snapper. I don't really. I used to know snapper stuff, but they're not on scholarship now, so I'm like, I don't know who they are. So. Jack Casasante. Jack Casasante. Props yeah. to you, Jack. Sorry, I hope you're okay. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't totally didn't notice that they brought a, a backup long snapper in. Ryan, you bring up a good point about the the big plays where that seemed like where the USC defense halted. Going into the game, my key for Cal was they were converting third downs to a 35% rate coming in, and USC was at 55%. I mean, Cal needed to be high above 35% and keep USC far below 55%, and they ended up uh, beating USC in third down conversion rate. They converted 53%, and USC only converted 41%. So, I mean, they pretty much did everything right on those big plays. They did, and uh, USC punted five times. That's probably a season high, right? Did they punt more at Oregon State? I'm not sure, but... No, I think that's a season high. It's got to be a season high. I can actually check real quick. Which is, um, but like, you know, you score 41 points. Like, we're not going to, like, complain about the offense. But to me, there wasn't a good complement between the offense and the defense. It was like the the stops were sort of rare. But when the defense was playing well, when the defense was getting those stops, the offense was going, like, three and out. And then, the, you know, the one time it worked is when the defense got the interception before halftime. Like, but the USC offense had a chance to, like, do something, went three and out had to punt, and then the defense gets the ball back. So that was complimentary. The defense picked up the offense's woes, and then the offense was able to score before halftime. But outside of that, it just, a lot of the times we've seen these, you know, the defense make a big play and the offense capitalize off it. It just seemed like they weren't, it wasn't the, you know, not that the defense and offense are communicating, but sometimes it kind of works in synergy. It just wasn't working that It feels like the USC offense thrives on momentum. Yeah. So because of the way that they can push the ball down the field, they can attack you with you know with a, a million paper cuts, the way they can do things in different ways, and the way that Lincoln Riley draws stuff up and he knows when to attack, he has a really good sense of, okay, like th- there's been a couple times this year where they've given up a touchdown and immediately with a quick strike. You think back to Stanford, the Jordan Addison touchdown, yeah. uh, where he just wants he wants to turn the momentum around. Sometimes that's to a fault. You know, he'll, he'll take that deep pass, and then now you're in second and long. And you know things can build up on you that way, but I, I think he has a really a pretty good sense of it of when to go for you know the the play that you know you drew up for this week you know that you designed based on certain defenses. Okay, this is the play that's going to work this week, and you know whether it be that play to Taj Washington that gets I think it was forty something yards on that drive right before half after the interception. Like he know he has you know he's holding on to one or two plays that are what he thinks are going to be big strike plays. And he knows to use them after uh, you know a turnover because that can really build the momentum. And it feels like the offense really thrives on it. And Lincoln knows when to call those type of plays. So it, it, it's in, it been interesting. You know they've been so good. It seems like when they get that turnover because it, the offense is hyped. They're ready. They yeah. Go, they either run it down somebody's throat or they quick strike. You know, and they just seem to be you know so much better even when they are coming off of a turnover versus, you know, they just re- receive the ball off a punt or a ki- uh, kickoff. So um, I, it's kind of just been a, something interesting to note there is how well they've done off turnovers and scoring off of them throughout the season and, and yeah. been pretty good at that. And your question about Aiden Sleep Dalton, uh, he did he punted four times against Oregon State. His career high for snaps coming into the, the game this weekend was five because he punted five times against Washington State. Okay, so five more. And this one, and, you know, one of the things I noticed, uh, and Jack, you brought up the the low third down percentage. It seemed like on some of those critical downs, I'm like sitting next to RJ in the press box in, in Austin, and it's like third and seven or something, and it was like sort of like a fade to a receiver kind of running to the sideline. They would have to like be perfectly, it wasn't like a stop right over the middle where you just kind of hit a guy that's, you know, in the softball of the zone or something. 
it seemed like there were these like low percentage, like sort of sideline passes, like going away from you that like everything would have to work for it to be successful. And they just weren't coming down with them. Um, it's, the, the play calling on some of those downs were weird too. Like sometimes you see like, wow, they schemed that really open. This was seemed more of just like a, a lower percentage, something you're throwing, you know, as a guy's like running from inside towards the sideline and you know, the timing has to be perfect. So I, I, I don't know if you guys noticed that, but it seemed like they did a lot of that. I mean, the, the deep ball to Kyle Ford, you know, is the one you probably think of, uh, immediately with that is, Hey, you're taking your one-on-one shot. And that was the third and I think seven. Yeah. Um, but the first third down that they didn't convert was the stop route over the middle, you know, and Caleb Williams threads the needle and uh, Terrell Bynum doesn't come down with a catch. Yeah. So it was a combination, I think. Uh, you there know, were some drops too on, on good, you know, good routes I, like that. I yeah. believe Terrell Bynum had a third down drop as well. Yeah, that's yeah, what that I'm talking about. The, about. The, the very first uh, drive of the game. Uh, you know, they tried to hit Relique Brown a couple times in different ways and couldn't connect with him. That was um, a weird one too. That looked like a, you know. He's not used a lot in that role, like a downfield throw, like kind of going to the sideline. It, it really felt a lot more this week versus last week that you, that Caleb Williams was using the backup receivers. And I don't mean that that they didn't make plays because obviously Taj Washington and Michael Jackson had you know huge plays and some nice catches from guys. But it felt like he's so in sync with Jordan Addison and Mario Williams where it felt like a couple times, like the throw over the middle to Kyle Ford, there was one uh, that was on a third down. And after the play, he's like, you know, using his hands and making a motion to Kyle Ford, where you, they're just not in sync enough on that play to for him for both of them to be on the same page to go to the right exact right spot because yeah. Caleb is so anticipatory with a lot of his throws when he stays in the pocket. Now, when he gets out and creates, it's a little bit different. But when he's throwing from the pocket, he's very anticipatory. He's looking and you know he's throwing the ball before someone turns their head. And we saw that there was a, a play on the drive, the, the first touchdown drive they scored. You know, Relique Brown's in for that that most of that series, and there was a quick out to Michael Jackson. Right. Um, and the ball was just really nowhere near him. And after the play, you see them talking a little bit. But it seemed like there was a lot more conversation, Caleb and a receiver, after an incompletion than there has been, you know, in the past. And I think that's just – it became a factor of – Hey, you're playing with a lot of guys that were on the second string, uh, guys that you don't necessarily get a ton of reps with, you know, the first half of the season, basically. Yeah. So you know, guys are making plays. I'm not saying that that's an issue, but I think that the just the cohesion of the offense and how smooth that it is run in the past when you have Addison, when you have Mario Williams, you didn't necessarily see that against Cal, and I think that hurt them, especially on third down, because there were there were opportunities out there where they didn't make a play, and it felt like a couple of times where it was like. You know, you, I don't know exactly what they were saying, but it felt like if you just went this way or you right. just went that way, you know, that half second or whatever it may be um, on the pass, then suddenly that's a first down and the, the change of moving. Yeah. Let's talk about Caleb Williams because we've mentioned it for it seems like the past couple of weeks now that he seems to be getting better every week. I'm not sure this was his best performance of the year just because, as Shotgun mentioned, he had to deal with some backup receivers and you really felt it for the first time. But another game with five total touchdowns, that's three in a row that he's got five tutties uh, on the day. I, I just... I. I'm amazed every week by what Caleb Williams can do, both in the pocket, out of the pocket, running the ball, throwing the ball, and he had another great performance. Yeah, I mean, if you look at what he's been able to do, um, he's clearly, like, no doubt about it, the team MVP. He's, uh, you know, I don't know what the record would be. Uh, you know, Lincoln Riley talked about how proud he was of 8-1. and one. Without Caleb Williams, you are not 8-1, and one. Uh, certainly. And you could argue what, you know, what the, the record would be, but this would not be, it would not be that. And I think... 
when there are screw up, screw ups on special teams or screw ups on the defensive side or something's not working in the pass game or you're out your two top receivers like Caleb Williams can be like kind of a racer. He can fix a lot of the problems, you know, and he's just able to do that. And the fact that this team and I want to get your clarification on this one nine games, one offensive turnover, one interception by Caleb Williams, a bad decision. Um, they are not coming close to putting the ball on the ground, turning the ball over. Like this isn't like they're living dangerously and they're just not turning the ball over. It doesn't even look like they're, you know, there's opportunities for turnovers to happen. They take care of the ball extremely well. I asked Lincoln Riley about it last week and I felt like he didn't want to talk about it. Cause it was like talking about a no hitter or something. Um, and in this game, I think they got credited with a turnover because they gave up an onside kick, which I think is a team turnover, mm. um, which sucks because that like doubled their turnover. <laughs> but it's not, that's still one offensive turnover of the year. I hate that, that that's called a turnover. You know, like it's not an offensive play or anything. Um, but that's amazing to me. So just not just how good Caleb Williams is playing, but he's running the show. He's the point guard of this offense, and they're not turning the ball over. And that, a lot of that has to be because of what he's doing. You know, he's putting everyone in a good position where they're going to make the play or the, and the defense isn't going to. Uh, I don't know if the clarification you want on that is that, yeah, it, it, it's weird that that's considered a turnover. I didn't actually know that until Keeley, you know, tweeted out yeah. that, was from, that was in the final stats and whatnot. I looked so, at the final stats as turnover, like points off turnovers, like Cal had six. I'm like, they didn't turn the ball over. That doesn't make any sense. So from now on, I will be referring to giveaways that USC has instead of turnovers. They have one giveaway this season because that's not a giveaway. You know, the, you, an onside kick isn't a giveaway. No, that's like a takeaway. The away. offense did not give away the ball, so therefore no. it can't be a giveaway. Or you say so offensive I'm, turnovers. I'm so. not going that. It's too many words. One word, giveaway. <laughs> giveaways and takeaways. <laughs> USC's crushing it in takeaways this season, and they only have one giveaway. So Yeah, I mean, they definitely slowed down on the takeaways, but they're still slowly chipping away, you know, even when – the but. USC's offense, I mean, you're not seeing them get, come close. Like, the ball's not on the turf all the time. Like, there's – it's pretty amazing what they're able to do and uh, see if they can keep it going. But, um, yeah, probably – but coming back to Caleb Williams, yeah, his – he's just a special talent at the quarterback spot. And uh, he's he's a big reason, in my opinion, why this team's 8-1. and one. I think he's the only reason they're 8-1. and one. <laughs> And they might have six or seven wins without Caleb Williams. Yeah, I, I'd said on this, and I think they would probably be six or three without him. Um, I think that's know, fair. Whether it's Miller Moss was in there or Jackson Darted stayed or something like that. I think he he's just creating some special plays in there. And we're seeing him rip it a little bit more. Like that throw to Terrell Bynum, I didn't really notice it at the time on the field, but then when I rewatched it, like there was a linebacker coming one way um, underneath. There was the defender over the top coming the other direction, and he just rips it in there. Like, you know, that's it's like more, traffic going this way. It's yeah. like, right in. And that's one of those, like, no, no, no. Okay, okay, if you can do it. Uh, you know, <laughs> no, 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 yes. If you're not necessarily that much uh, <laughs> on the sideline, uh, but, you know, he has that confidence. And that was something we didn't necessarily see him earlier in the season. Like he was only through going to the guys who were wide open. Um, a lot of guys were wide open with Lincoln Riley's scheme. Right. But uh, and, and whether that's because, you know, the receivers he has on the field right now and they're defended a little bit closer or whatever it may be, it feels like he's even gained more confidence. I think that's more of the case than, than, uh, than the receiver part. He's gained more confidence to, okay, let me let it rip and not be worried about a turnover or anything. And whether it be zone defenses, he's eating those up. And I know that's something that was a little bit of a, a knock on him last year at uh, at Oklahoma. And, you know, Oklahoma fans, when he transferred here, were like, well, good luck when he faces drop eight. You'll see. You'll see. Um, it, I don't. You can drop eight. You can drive, drop drop yeah. four. You might need to drop fourteen. They do. 
Um, <laughs> you have a better shot. And maybe you'll have a chance to slow him down. But then you better at least rush. If you're dropping 14, you better rush six because he's going to make at least three guys miss. That's what it feels like right now. It's like It feels like you can put 20 defenders on the field and he'll still make plays. Uh, that, because he, it's, he's so difficult to get down in the backfield. So he keeps plays alive. And then, you know, he's always got his eyes down the field. He, you know, he has missed some receivers at times this season. Uh, and, and maybe that's the one knock on him. Every quarterback misses receivers. You know, at, at just that's the way it works. You can't see everything, especially when you're going through progressions. You know, what you see as a fan, you may be like, that guy's wide open. Well, he's looking on the other side of the field because yeah. that's where he's supposed to start. Um, but, you know, he's made that may be the one knock on him. But other than that, like, there's nothing you can really say negative about the way he's playing. He is just playing phenomenal right now. And if the defense had the caliber of athletes and playmakers that the offense does, if they were on the same level as the offense, it would be no doubt that everyone would be talking about him as the Heisman frontrunner. Yeah. Like there would be no question right now uh, because he would be putting up the similar numbers that, you know, it's similar to what CJ Stroud was doing pretty much before this weekend. It's like he's just carving people up and they're dominating everybody. And that's what you would be seeing from USC right now is Caleb Williams is carving people up and they're not dominating because of the defense right now. Yeah. Uh, but he is doing his part for sure. And, you know, that's what it's going to be really fun when they play UCLA. And not necessarily for USC fans, maybe not for UCLA fans. You know, as the game progresses and everyone's, you know, grabbing the tums and the rollades. Who's going to get stops? Yeah, I don't know. But it, that game might be the 65-63 UCLA-Washington State game all over. Like, I don't know who gets a stop first. Yeah. When you think that, though, that's when it's like a 28-27. That's like, when what so, happened? suddenly like, it gets sloppy and there's turnovers or whatever it may be. defenses play well. Who knows? Yeah. But that, that's definitely going to be fun. And I and I think for the, the USC fans that are, like, all doom and gloom about uh, what's going to – yeah. Are they going to have a hard time stopping UCLA? Probably. I would think so. But the you have Caleb Williams in this offense. Like, it's going to give you a puncher's chance like every single time. Like If you barely beat Cal, it's going to look bad. But you could do the exact same thing to a way better UCLA team. Like It could be the exact same sort of thing. True. Um, and you could still win because you had like, Caleb Williams like making plays like that. So and they weren't even great against Cal. Like the offense wasn't. They weren't very good in the first half. They weren't very they good, were and they okay. scored forty-one points. You know, it's like they were okay in the first half. Yeah, and they were up what twenty-one uh, seven going or twenty to seven going into the half. Yeah, like if you can put up twenty points in a court, I mean, in a half when you're not that good, that's saying something. Um, and and that's primarily. I mean, a lot of credit goes to Lincoln Riley and his play design as well. But then the secondary is is Caleb Williams. I don't know which one you would rate higher there, but both of them have been phenomenal um, on their side of the ball. Yep. Gordon said Caleb made some Pat Mahomes throws, and I mean, you know, I never want to compare someone to someone that great. But he, there were times out there when he was slinging the ball sidearm that he looked like Patrick Mahomes, and I, I thought it was just—it's crazy that he can be so efficient and not put the ball in harm's way while also being comfortable doing a double spin move uh, and not taking a sack or throwing the ball sidearm in the red zone, not throwing it even close to the defender uh, or b calling Michael Jackson back to him and throwing it low on the sideline. Uh, I just—they're just. They're just I don't think there's a single thing he can't do on the football field. And I think Shotgun's right that there, the story would be Caleb Williams across the national media if the defense was a little bit better and it wasn't a close game because he's really doing everything right. And it's not his fault that he's not getting talked about enough. His instincts are great. You see, he hit the spin button a couple times on some plays. He's just like... <laughs> I just wanted that one to be completed so that it would actually be on the highlight package. Yeah. Right. It's just sort of like the way he gets away from stuff. You're like, what? Like, how is that possible? And... uh you know, it's a second, you know, third week in a row. You had a different offensive line in front of him. You know, different starting group. 
He's he's yeah, he's a special talent and he's coming back. So just enjoy. I know USA fans, you want to complain about stuff or whatever, just kind of like you know, still in the shell shock mode from the years of, of the Helton era and stuff, but try to enjoy the special talent that is Caleb Williams. Like with his top two dudes out, the top two received the Belinikoff Award winner and his number Even one. Even more important than that, not having his left tackle. Yeah. Because that's where a lot of the pressure was coming from on that left side with Mason Murphy. And it was interesting that USC made the decision. I thought Cortland Ford played pretty well last week when too. he came in for Bobby Haskins. Um, and I believe that Bobby Haskins is injured, even though he did dress. I don't think you would suddenly just throw Mason Murphy in there and say, hey, you're starting a left tackle now off of one game that you started right tackle against Arizona. Because I thought he looked good against Arizona and not as good against Cal, but I think that's the difference in the, uh, the defensive fronts that you're facing Arizona versus Cal. But I think that you know when your blind side is not being protected, that makes it that much more challenging as a as a quarterback. You know, you, can you feel the heat? Do you know, do you hear those footsteps behind you? Because you know that your starter's not in there, so it's in the back of your head that whole time. And didn't matter. He's still just making play after play. Yeah. play. Shotgun, I have a question for you because I think you watch this the a lot closer. The answer is three point one four. That's pie. Oh yeah, there you go. Uh, so I see a lot of people in the chat, and there's these people every single week saying fire Alex Grinchier or saying negative things about Alex Grinch, and it's been growing with each week. USC doesn't allow 500 yards this week as it did the last two contests, but still 469 yards allowed. I think the last three quarterbacks USC has faced, they've all had their best performances of the year against <laughs> USC. At, at, like, What part of this do you think is Alex Grinch, and what part do you think is more execution from the USC players and the actual talent on the field? I mean, I think a huge part of it is execution. Um, you know, I think that Ale it's not like Alex Grinch is just setting his ways and he's doing one defense and that's it. And, hey, they're beating that defense and he has no answers for it. Um, the, the issues, you know, they do have some talent, but they don't have the depth of talent. So when someone's struggling, you know, can you throw somebody else in there? And I asked Alex Grinch about this because they did. They made some substitutions in that game. You know, Jacoby Covington came in the game after Sierra Wright got beat on that long pass down the, the left sideline in front of the student section. Latrell McCutcheon came in after Jalen Smith gave up that, you know, that contested catch. Uh, I think it was a slot fade, but he also got beat in, on the first drive on one. So, you know, after those guys got beat a couple times, they made changes. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, and they've made changes at the rush end that, you know, tried some different, those feel like more like trying something, whereas these were like, we're getting you out because you're not making plays. You screwed up, yeah. And I asked kind of Alex Grinch about that. Hey, is there a potential shakeup? You know, could you see, you know, more guys the starting lineup change again? We saw Bryson Shaw take over at the, the primary safety spot instead of Max Williams, who played the dime spot. Those guys basically flipped their roles. Um, and so instead of Max being the starter, Bryson Shaw was a starter. And he said, we can do that at certain positions, which tells me we don't have to, the, the yeah. coach speak, the, to cut through the coach speak is we don't have enough talent at every other position to feel like we can make those changes. So whether that's inside linebacker or whether that's, you know, somewhere on the defensive line or one of the safeties, like they don't feel like they have enough talent on the two deep to be like, all right, this guy's not making plays tonight. We're getting him out. And maybe he makes it. Maybe he makes the ground back up during the week. Has a really good week of practice. We'll put him back in. You know, sometimes guys have an off day. You know, eighteen to twenty-two year olds, as I always say. You know, maybe their girlfriend broke up with them. They stayed up all week because of exams. Whatever it may be, and they're just having an off night. Grandma just passed away, or mom didn't want to come to the game. She's mad at me, and whatever. You're thinking about something else. You have a bad game. Get somebody out. They don't feel like they can do that. And it kind of is like the, the Clancy Pendergast, uh, was it 2012, 2013, at Orgeron year where oh, yeah. 
Stanford. notoriously played 11 players against Stanford on defense because Leonard Williams is not coming out of the game if yeah. we, we don't have to take him out of the game type of thing because they didn't have anywhere in close to being close to Leonard Williams. And anyone else on that defense, they felt like they, they had to play their starters because those are the only guys they could trust, and that's a big part of it too is trust. It's all defense coordinators is who can I trust to, to do their assignment. And then, you know, once you do your assignment, okay, they, they complete a five-yard pass. You make the tackle then. Yeah. And that those are the things that – and the last two games, I think you can really point out and say, you know, Alex Grinch can't make him tackle. And you, you can blame a defensive staff for, hey, they're not tackling well enough. But when they tackled well for the first six games of the season, they give up 44 missed tackles in the first six games, so 7.3 average. And then suddenly they're giving up 18 or 19 per game in two games in a row. Like, do you then suddenly be like, well, the defense, they don't know how to teach them to tackle. Or the inside linebackers are hurt. Uh, maybe the next guy that's coming in is not making the tackle. Uh, Shane Lee is playing with a cast, and he has five missed tackles. He's never had that many in his, in his life. He had nine in his career in four years or three years uh, of, of football. So, or three and a half years at that point. So, you look at those, and the injuries are definitely playing a part in it. So it is a combination. You can't fire Grinch after one year, and you know the defense not being great right now because they don't have the talent that they could potentially have. And if he has the talent, then I think the defense definitely can work. He obviously knows what he's talking about. He's trying to put guys in the right position, and you know it's just not working right now. Um, and but if they make a couple more plays then suddenly things don't look quite as bad. You can give a bunch of yards, but suddenly you don't give up any points, and people are about right back in the in the favor of Alex Grinch is doing all right. Yeah. yeah. Ryan, you mentioned, too, complementary football. I think one thing that you have to lay out for defenses like this that are paired with such an efficient offense is the defense is out on the field for so long, and I think that's something that people have asked about, asked questions about, you know, should the offense try and slow down a bit to make it so the defense isn't on the field. And Ryan, you said last week, you know, you don't want him to slow down because why mess up a good offense? But at the same time, USC, after the first quarter where they held the ball for 9 minutes and 55 seconds, held it for 5 minutes and 13 seconds in the second quarter, 6 minutes and 55 seconds in the third, and 6 minutes and 1 second in the fourth quarter. And just because the offense is scoring so quick, the defense immediately going back out there. They're on the field for so many plays. I don't know if that's a discussion we still want to have considering we see it, you know, another week where USC puts up 41 and the defense kind of crumbles on the back end. But I, I think that's something that needs to be pointed out as well. Yeah, it's one of those things. I mean, USC wasn't very efficient, though, in this game with like 41% or whatever on third down. So I think that was part of it, too. The Cal was not coming off the field as much, and USC was. I don't think it was just because USC was scoring quickly. I thought they could have run the ball more. It's a, it's a good Cal defensive front, though, and I think that, you know, uh, Lincoln Riley's looking at that and like, hey, we're going to have some opportunities to throw the ball and maybe some of the shorter stuff or whatever with this aggressive Cal front. And they kind of shot away from the run. I would have liked to see them run the ball more, but I don't want you screwing up. Uh, you got a masterpiece going. You don't want to screw it up. You know, like, <laughs> you ever have like the, do you ever have Legos when you were a kid? And like, you had like the Actually, big castle. No. You never had Legos? Oh my God. That explains a whole lot. You got to have Legos. Can Whole you, sports can, stuff. Can you make the analogy food? I already did a photo now. Like, yeah, like you have this, like a this, you know, I have this castle. It's awesome. It's all beautiful and everything. And he's like, oh, and then, but I have this other one over here. It's like a hospital. I want to make it cool, but I lost some of the pieces. The dog ate some of them. And like, I'm not gonna like take a whole bunch of pieces out of the castle to like try to make the hospital better. Just make it like, you know, it's putting lipstick on a pig over here and screw up my beautiful castle. Like you have this amazing offense. Do not screw it up. Like we're doing, it'll be fine. The offense scored 41 points. They look, they look clunky and they're scoring 41 points. So I'm not going to take away from the offense to try to make things better 
on the defense. Can they mix in some more run stuff? Yeah, that's fine. But I'm not. I don't think that they were going like a million miles an hour, and that's why the defense was uh, was was on the field too long. If that's the thing, you know, maybe. But they're. I don't think that's what they're doing. It, it's not like USC is running tempo. Like they very rarely are actually running tempo. They get to the line, they set, they look. Caleb's checking with Lincoln Riley. He's getting a thumbs up. All right, now he's making you know he's making different calls at the line of scrimmage. It's not like it's a rush up there. It's not it's not the blur offense of Chip right, Kelly yeah. or anything like that. Um, it, I mean, on the season, it's basically thirty minutes to thirty minutes. I think it's, I think USC leads time of possession for the season 30, 13 to twenty nine forty seven. So like it's not it's like there's a big, it's not like there's a big discrepancy there. Um, you know USC's philosophy is. Okay, we'll take the air out of the ball a little bit in the second half. We're ahead, and but you got to be able to pick up first downs, and you know they weren't consistently doing that last night. But and in the second half, you know when the time of possession flipped, is okay. Suddenly they're giving up those third downs um, and allowing those cow drives to keep going. That was the thing. It's not like cow was getting you know when the the time of possession switches for USC is like okay they're running so efficiently they're getting the first down on first down. Uh, and getting a new set of downs, whereas Cal, it's taking them three downs every single time. Yeah. <laughs> so then they get more. So that adds up a little bit. But the, the key there is not to do anything to the offense. It's to get off the field on third down, yeah. especially when it's third and seven or third and long. you know, you got to be able to get off the field, and that's that's where it's got to be the complimentary where you get the pass rush and you get the, the secondary helping out at the same time. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Yeah, I feel like there's a couple players that we should shout out before heading on to live calls and comments. Yes. You had two wide receivers who stepped up. Michael Jackson the third with another great game for USC. Uh, bunched through the air, two touchdowns through the air, and also uh, a nice rush that he could have had a third touchdown on, I think, if he followed Caleb Williams' block. You had Taj Washington, again, over 100 yards, added a touchdown on his own. And on the defensive side, Kalen Bullock with the INT. He did have some poor plays after that, but still a big momentum shift for the Trojans. Uh, and then also Tuli Tuli Pelotu back in the nation national lead for sacks with nine and a half he had two last night i think he likes playing in the coliseum a little bit more than on the road yeah his last one was at washington state in the coliseum like a month ago so uh well, last three last three yeah. last three <laughs> impressive yeah but like for for taj washington he's really stepped up you know you go from like the number three guy to the feature wide receiver uh michael jackson i mean that one play was a third and i don't know six seven something like that and it was a little screen pass that looked like was going to get blown up and not only does he avoid the tackler and avoid the defender and make the guy miss and pick up the first down he runs it all the way in for a touchdown so that was a huge play where it looked like it's another one they're not going to convert and he converted basically on his own and then scored a touchdown too so. he made one guy miss and then give credit to the offense lineman who i you know, i had 
I can't think of who it is off the top of my head. I think it was was Brett Elon, but not sure. That got out in front and got the block on the safety, and then that was it was gone. It was gone. He made he only had to make one guy miss, and that's the thing with this offense is that especially against teams like Cal or Colorado or any inferior team, UCLA's defense, anyone that doesn't have an elite defense, is you can go sideline to sideline and trust that Jordan Addison, Michael Jackson, Taj Washington, Mario Williams, even Kyle Ford, Brendan Wright, they're going to make the first guy miss. You know, the, the smaller guys are going to juke the guy. The bigger guys are just going to run through an arm tackle. And they're going to make the first guy miss, and then you're going to get yardage off of that. It's similar like Drake London's not the the you know the guy with the most jukes, but they would throw the ball out to him on screens because he's going to make that first guy miss almost every time, yeah. one way or another, where he has to spin move or whatever. And then he's going to pick up seven yards if they're going to play off. And then you force the defense to come up, and then you can do a, a bunch of different things. But that's what they this offense is predicated on. It's like, well, let's get our playmakers in space and let them go to work. And that's, you know, Michael Jackson is showing that, hey, I can be a playmaker too. You know, and that's something where, you know, when you see these other receivers coming in, you can be like, Ooh, do they like me? Am I looking at my opportunity, especially in the spring when he's kind of banged up? You know, do I hit the transfer portal and look for another opportunity? Stuck around and has made it work. And, you know, even though at the beginning of the season he wasn't getting a run. Taj Washington was still getting a run. Yeah. You know, Michael Jackson was not. Got his opportunity, and now he's made the most of it. So even when Jordan Addison and, and Mario Williams come back, he's still going to be getting some reps. He will. Whereas he didn't get any reps until basically Jordan Addison went down. Maybe maybe a, a handful um, in, in the blowout against Rice, but uh, you know, off the top of my head, you know, he didn't have any catches. So that you're going to see him back in the rotation. That's the thing. When you get an opportunity, you got to make the most of it. And he's definitely done that. But that's what this offense does. It gives guys an opportunity to make some plays. And when they do, you know, suddenly – you, you just got to make one guy miss, and you get one block, and suddenly, whoop, you go. Yep. Oh, well, yeah, I think you talk about Tosh Washington being maybe third on the depth chart. What was Michael Jackson, seventh? I mean, this is I think yeah. USC's got just an embarrassment of riches at the wide receiver position, and they can cycle in so many different players. Uh, and then on the defensive side of the ball, Thule had a fantastic game. Uh, two sacks, two and a half tackles for loss. Kalen Bullock with the INT. There were a couple of miscommunication plays, and there were some pass interferences where I feel like this is the first show that they were legit pass interferences. There weren't any Pac-12 refs mess up, messing up in this game. The clock operators yeah, were fine. That was This is, I think, the first time we can come on the show and say, yeah, I think the Pac-12 refs did a good job today. I couldn't tell from the press box, but it looked like they were all plays on the ball, but I guess there was like a hand behind and stuff too. So the yeah. only one that – the most of the ones I saw, yes, it was they were calling the wrap, which sometimes you get away with that, uh, you know, as long as you don't turn the shoulders or turn the hips of the receiver – and referees let, go, let you get away. Technically, it is supposed to be a pass interference. The only one I wasn't sure about, I don't know if you guys saw the uh, replays, I haven't seen that, that particular play, was the one in the end zone. With yeah, it looked like a trip maybe or something. Yeah, I know the receiver went up and spun, and then I kind of lost sight of him. Um, so I, I don't know if he fell on his own or what it was. Kalen Bullock was not happy about it, I can tell you that. No. He, was, he was very uh, upset about that one in particular, and there was one other one. Uh, I think he was called for three of them maybe. So, you know, that's the thing is if you see it and the referee tells one of the DBs, yeah, you're getting called for this, you got to make that adjustment in game. Yeah. Um, you know, if they're going to call the rap every time, then, you know, and that's what it was pretty much each of those times. Yeah. All right. We've got a couple live callers in yeah, the queue. Let's get it. We'll start with Curtis from Moreno Valley. Curtis. Hi, Curtis. You're on Tunnel Vision. Hey, fellas. I want to talk about what we know we're going to throw up against in the later part of the season, mobile quarterbacks, guys that can take off with their legs and hurt you, 
I say we spy them with a safety that can match their size and speed and athletic ability. Shotgun, who do you think we should spy? Even if we're in man coverage, if we're blitzing, if we're in zone, we should still have that spy on the DTRs of the world. What do you guys think? Thanks, Curtis. What's up, Curtis? Pretty much just DTRs, like the dynamic quarterback left on the I mean, if you, like if you end up playing Cameron Rising or uh, well, Bo against an Impact 12 the regular season, like Colorado is like, I was watching. Does Colorado even have – do they run a, an offense that has a quarterback? That JT Shroud, I was watching him yesterday. He would just throw, like, just BBs at – like, in the general area of a receiver. And sometimes it's, like, flying over here. It's like it, – it was insane. Like, no touch whatsoever. They do say he has uh, really strong arm strength. He does have a real strong – but it's just like – I'd be throwing a jack, and you're like, oh, I might go over there. It was just crazy. I'm like, what are you doing, dude? Like, it was just bad. I thought that they ran the triple wing still. Yeah. No, they do not. But you don't worry about Colorado next week. Like, you're no spy on JT Shroud. Um, and then, you know, DTR, obviously, super dynamic quarterback playing out of his mind. That's the one you got to worry about. Uh, I haven't watched Notre Dame lately to see what's going on there, but there's more of a. a Tyler Buckner to... is out for the season, is all I know. So, yeah. So, uh, but he, yeah. he was a more mobile option. But who would you them. spy on uh, DTR? Because they had Eric Gentry was used as a spy before it, a well, lot of times. It's hard to spy with your middle linebacker. And I actually learned a little bit about this. Uh, I listened to Sua or one of the, the defenders on a different show. Um, just because you want to keep those guys, they're the, the center of your defense. You don't want them, you know, you, know, you want to be able to use them in different ways. Um, so maybe it's a, an air gentry type, but if you're using a safety as Curtis is, is suggesting, uh, you know, who would you want to put then? You know, Max Williams has the knowledge and he's a sure tackler. Kalen uh, you know, Bullock is the guy you would love to have there, but you don't want to take away your over the top, you know, as your center fielder. Uh, so if you can just clone Kalen Bullock, a couple and, of them. And put him, uh, you know, in there. Then you could do that. Um, if you're bringing someone off the bench or something, you, you could look at, you know, Chris Thompson. What, but he was injured this past game. You know, former safety who plays linebacker now. I thought he'd be a good fit in the dime defense, but unfortunately, he got banged up. I guess against Arizona um, and on special teams, and you know, he did not dress for this past game. So it, there's not a great you know, just a perfect person to go do it. He's kind of, and you don't always want to have the same person. You want to mix and match so the quarterback doesn't know, you know, he's looking and he thinks someone's his own coverage, but they're really focused on the quarterback the entire time. So he thinks he can take off and that guy's there waiting on him or whatever it may be in that regard. And you don't always want to use a spy because then you're playing 10 on 10 basically. And, you know, the, the, the less numbers there are, the easier it is for the offense. That's why seven-on-seven right. seven football, it's much easier for the offense sure. to play seven-on-seven. Seven. Um, so, you know, it, it's it's something where you got to mix it up, you got to ma- mix and match. And But I, I think the biggest thing is you can't have any of the other inside linebackers try to do it. No. Um, Tua Stevenamora, Shane Lee, like that's not their strength. You're just taking someone out of the play, basically, yeah. Yeah, because you need someone who's able to come <laughs> downhill – and be able to then adjust on the fly. And those guys are come downhill between the line of scrimmage. Let me hit my gap. Let me hit the spot where I'm supposed to be and destroy whatever's there. Yeah. Versus being out in the field, having to dance with somebody or anything like that out in the open field. That's just not their strength. So I don't think that's the persons that you would want to do with it, ideally. So there are some options. You could even bring in someone like Anthony Beavers off the bench. You know, I like I like the type of player, if you're thinking about a safety, 
is someone that has the size to play linebacker at the same time or has the you know instincts to play linebacker uh, so that you can bring them up close to the line of scrimmage so you're not having to br- drop drop them from deep and bring them up to uh, you know the linebacker depth on the snap or, or something like that, and you can kind of move them around in different ways around the linebacker depth. I like the Whitney Houston reference. You want to dance with somebody. Nice. Always. Okay. Well, I think the problem, too, with a team like UCLA, where, yes, DTR is a very mobile quarterback, but they run the ball very well with Zach Charbonnet. Mm-hmm. You don't always want to have a safety in the box because an offensive lineman gets to the second level, and Max Williams isn't going to get off a block the same way that Shane Lee might be able to or, or Eric Gentry even. So I think that, that that's sometimes tough. To, to use a safety. It might make more sense against a team like Arizona, who doesn't run the ball quite as well as UCLA, but they're kind of a multifaceted offense that will definitely cause problems for USC, and we'll see what happens when they get there. I think if USC was going to use a safety, it's good now that I think they've found three that they want to play in Max Williams, Kalen Bullock, and now Bryson Shaw, who I've been impressed with over the last couple of weeks. So yeah. they might have a little one more safety at their disposal, which they I don't think I think we would all agree they clearly don't have with the linebacker position is is you know a wealth of people that they can use in multiple different ways. Let's go to Kevin from San Jose to talk about Cortland Ford and Mason Murphy. Hi, you're on Tunnel Vision. Hey, guys. Uh, Ryan, my analogy is uh, it's like when someone says they have Halloween candy, but it turns out it's candy corn. That's how I felt about the game. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's right. I love candy corn. Is, <laughs> I like it. Corn. I, great great analogy. That, my question is, do you think that uh, Mason Murphy being chosen over Cortland Ford is more uh, speaking about how much they value Mason Murphy or uh, how Cortland Ford either is health-wise or development-wise? Probably a little above that. We've heard a lot of glowing things about Mason Murphy. Um, I mean, just even talking to the players, like they, you know, when I talked to Jonah Monheim last week, he had said like Justin Dietrich like took himself out of his normal weightlifting routine to go work out with Mason Murphy to bring him along. So it just kind of told you like when they he came in, a lot of people were like, oh, that guy's going to be good for whatever reason. That's what they saw in him. So I feel like he was going to be groomed to be someone that's good. So I think it's a kind of a combination. I don't know if Cortland Ford's completely healthy. He did come in late in the, the Arizona game, but he seemed fine to me. Like I like when I think they can run the ball really well when he's in the game, but uh, but I think they really do like Mason Murphy, and that's probably a lot of why this is happening. Yeah, and Mason Murphy is a guy that is only going he's probably one of a handful of players on the team that the more reps you can get is the betterment for the team. Because he is raw. He is, does not play football for very long. He started playing football, I believe, his freshman or sophomore year of high school um, and then loses the 2020 season, basically, because of the pandemic. So he just doesn't have a ton of reps. So any extra reps you can get him, which is why in the Arizona game, now granted he was starting this game, but the Cal game, the you know the Fresno states of the world, like if you can pound somebody and be up by three scores – then Mason Murphy in that Fresno State game, he gets those extra reps, yep. and so that just that it accelerates his development. So I think that him getting these reps is a positive for USC down the road. But it tells you that yeah, they think that there is definitely something there, that there is talent there, and he was the number one rated tackle in California. You know his his recruiting class season. So um, you know I I think that they definitely have confidence in Mason Murphy and want to get him those opportunities. But it is a little bit unsettling, you know, it, seeing Cortland Ford and seeing what he's potentially he potentially can do. That they have, you know, that they don't see the same thing in him. Yeah. Uh, so, like Ryan said, I think it's a, a combination of both. 
Yeah, I think I think that makes sense, and I, I agree with you, Ryan. I think that they've been able to run the wall well with Cortland Ford, so maybe it's a health issue, but I also think they're very high on Mason Murphy. You hear all the rave reviews about him this week from Justin Dietrich and Jonah Monheim and all the other offensive linemen, and just even Lincoln Riley saying how much they prioritize making sure that Mason would be ready to go, probably not only for this season, but also going forward, because I think they think he's a big part of the Trojan uh, offensive line moving forward. we got one more caller. We'll go to Dave from Iowa. Hi, Dave. You're on Tunnel Vision. Hi, guys. Great to be back again. Um, in terms of the win, you know, a win's a win, but, you know, kind of disappointed in a couple areas. Um, I don't know if you guys have noticed over the past decade, but the way the, the game is called has changed. You know, 10, 15 years ago, you know, season-wise, a team would go one for three for, on fourth downs. Now, you know, teams are averaging to go 10 to 15 times. Everyone's getting more aggressive, right? Same can be said now with onside kicks. USC, USC this weekend and last weekend, um, Oregon and UC, uh, Oregon and the Oregon UCLA game, and it wasn't on purpose an onside kick, but I believe there's another onside kick um, this past weekend. It might have been Mississippi State. I could be wrong there, but so my question is, take it or leave it. No matter how this season ends, uh, Lincoln Riley doesn't hire um, a special teams coach. What are your thoughts? I'm, I'm leaving it just from his comments. Yeah, he doesn't sound like he wants that. Um... But I mean, there's some onside kicks, but they're it's they're still a very low percentage play. You know, it's a desperation thing usually at the end. But if you could sneak one in because you see something on film, and I thought that Oregon did a really nice job against UCLA. That USC's you know was okay. That you know, didn't work. Obviously, Cal snuck one in there and they did a good job. If you can do a sneak attack uh, onside kick, I think it's good. You know, but it's still going to be. I don't think that's the reason why you're going to hire a special teams coordinator or not. It's just not his philosophy to. But the way the special teams have been playing, I think, you know, it's hurting. I think it's hurting USC on that part of the ball. I mean, it, some of the stuff is simple. Just, like, don't return it. Just fair catch it. You'd be better off. Um, I say return it. They're not getting the 25, you know. USC averaged 16 and a half yards a kick return yesterday night. I'm yeah. going to get every time the ball is in Relief Brown's hands, I want him to return the ball. All right. He will eventually make something special happen. When's the last time USC returned a kickoff or a punt for a touchdown? Do you remember? It's been years. Off the top of my head. Yeah. Uh, can't be all the way back to a Dory, but that's the first thing that comes to my mind. I, I always go back to this one, but I, I remember the Gary Bryant against UCLA a couple years ago. It wasn't a touchdown, but yeah. that was a game that, I mean, it that seemed like play, after yeah. UCLA scored that USC was going to lose. changed the game. I was kind of watching it, and I'm like, Gary Bryant, you probably shouldn't return this. I was like, oh, well, good decision. If you have elite playmakers, you got to give them opportunities. If you give up five yards on it, they get better at blocking because it's not working right now. That would help. Yeah. You know, that usually is is the case, and that's when you have a special teams coach. Those are things you work on, but they don't have one of those. The yeah. onside kicks, uh, just real quick on it, because the rule changes that have happened across NFL, high school, college in the last decade, I think that's why you see the percentage on, especially in the NFL, the rules are so slanted. Um, against the recovery, just with the blocking and everything, where it used to be you just you went full force and you just blew everybody <laughs> up, and then someone tried to come in behind to get the ball. Yeah, uh, you can't do that. The ball has to touch someone before you anyone, catch it, before you know, any yeah. any uh, block can be made. All those type of things. So that's why the sneak attacks are are much more effective, um, and which is why I'm very still befuddled by USC not sneaking atta sneak attacking the onside kick they attempted. They just lined up and it went for it. I don't oh, know if you yeah. noticed this. Like Dennis Lynch turned his body and did it. It wasn't like 
Yeah, you want to do that one where you're kind of going forward and then it's just like the little drag kick. Like, yeah. I love the one where the kicker recovers it himself. That's mm -hmm. a great one. That's a that's really cool um, if you could pull that one off. But yeah, they didn't do that. All right, we can go to some questions now. The first yes. one comes from Cameron on YouTube. He says, question, how crucial is it to get Goforth, Gentry, Addison, and Mario back by the Colorado game? Not for Colorado. It's crucial for UCLA. I think it would be great because you yeah. want to shake the rust off, especially some of those guys going on a month right? since they played. Um, but crucial, no. Riley said it's a, he's not holding anybody out, by the way. So I don't know if you believe him. I don't believe anything really he's saying with injuries. Anything that's said with injuries, I don't I'm believe. not believing but grain it's of not, salt. USC is going to beat Colorado with those guys out. But it would be nice to get them back a little bit. Get some, maybe in a, you know, Riley did mention a pitch count potentially like for Addison. So maybe you see him on a pitch count, which would be good. Just to get him some... Like you said, get the rust off. But you, you need them full strength for UCLA if you can get them. Yeah, we had a question from Breakaway as well. I said, which of the injured starters is closest to coming back, in your opinion? I would say Jordan Addison because he did warm up. And Riley said, you know, later in the week, they didn't think that he was going to be able to play. But they wanted him to go through the warm-ups, basically, um, and kind of to see, you know, if they could get him on a pitch count or anything like that. So uh, that's something to, to keep an eye on going forward with him and just because he was the one that was actually able to do some warm-ups yesterday when none of the other injured guys did anything. But keep in mind, this past week he said that he expects a couple of those guys to be back, and they weren't back, you know, so, like, it's just... There, none of them were I guess be, Voorhees was back. None but, of them were long-term injuries, right? No long-term concerns. I, I, it depends. Just on don't your, listen to what he says about it. It depends he doesn't on what want your to talk def about definition of long-term is. I mean, if you don't think that three three weeks is long-term, then it's not. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree, and I think you, no long-term concerns for their football careers. Yeah, maybe that's what he means. Or for their future health after their football careers right. end. That's what he meant. I, I think that you do want to get some of them back because you don't want some of their first snaps to come against UCLA in a game where we just mentioned if you got to score on offense pretty much every possession to make up for the lack of defense, you're going to want Jordan Addison to have played a couple snaps against Colorado. Same with Mario Williams and others. Uh, a question from Herman on YouTube. Uh, what are your thoughts on Caleb Williams being a possible Heisman finalist? Mentions USC's remaining schedule, and I know that we've talked about this a little bit, but uh, what are your guys' kind of thoughts on that right now? Yeah, I think he's got a good shot. He's still up there with the odds, like the Vegas odds kind of thing. Um, I believe so. I haven't looked he, lately. They didn't put him out uh, yet this week. I believe they come out to, tomorrow morning. I'll get those emailed to me. Um, but he was third last week, um, and he was a little bit down in some like 12 to 1 or something uh, from where he had been earlier in the season. But Hinden Hooker and C.J. Stroud were the two guys in front of him. And he had better days than both those guys yesterday. And what is it, 27 to 1 touchdown interception ratio? 28 so to 1. 28 to 1. I mean, that's pretty ridiculous. Plus 4. Plus 4, teams. yeah. Four so he has like a stat padding game against Colorado. And then two marquee games, UCLA and Notre Dame. So like you, you win those or you have a really good game in those, you build some momentum. Like Carson Palmer won the Heisman because of the Notre Dame game at the end of the season. And that's same sort of opportunity. I don't know if he's going to be able to win the Heisman. Uh, maybe they go on but some crazy run. But the question was about him being a finalist. I think he's got a, a decent shot of being in New York for sure. I think, I, I mean. Uh, he'll be, uh, right now, my, my guess is he'll be top five in voting. Yeah. Now, does that get you to New York? You don't know because it could yeah. be three, four, or five. It depends. Just yeah, what, like if there's like three the clear is. number one, two, three, then those guys go. You know, but I think he's got a decent shot. The yeah. question is, are you coming to visit? You know, I'll be in New York for. Oh, it. I'll are go to, this. to visit. I'll go to New York. Right, for this. We're both yeah. going to New York. I'm a voter, it. man. I want to go. So like, well, I'm right on the street. So perfect. We're hanging out in New York in December. Yes. I'll, I'll stow away in your luggage and, and <laughs> join you guys in New York. Uh, we've got a couple more questions. Uh, 
So another question, uh, Ramon asked another one, can a kickoff receiving team wave for a fair catch? And Ashadi, you said that you want them to take the ball out. Ryan, I know you've also talked about you want a touchback. Is you think it's worth it for you know those, the short pooch kicks where they're catching at the five-yard line for them to just fair catch it? I like it. I mean, unless you've shown that you can do something better with it, you can fair catch it. I would rather just see him fair catch. There's a funny meme that go that goes around, you know, the meme with the the guys with his girlfriend and he's looking at the other girl with like the googly eyes and it's the like USC kickoff returners is the guy and like fair catch is the girlfriend and then run it out is the other girl and it's like the USC returners are like always looking to run it out and it never <laughs> never does anything good. So I don't know, but I love when that meme kind of comes around. Yeah, another question from Alan. Take it or leave it. USC would not make a bowl game this year without Caleb and Tuli Tuli Pelo too. Okay, take them both out. No, they'd make a bowl game. Like, this is a well-coached team. But to be 8-1, and one, you need you need Caleb. They're making a bowl without those guys. Let's just take the best offensive player and best defensive player off every team and see what happens. These are the hypothetical questions that I'm not a fan of, guys. All right, well, we've got a non-hypothetical question then. And Shotgun, you can start on this one from Kylie from YouTube. How does USC's performance, coupled with the SEC banging up on one another, help recruiting for USC? And Kylie also asked, with USC's rise, uh, coupled with the move to the Big Ten and Alabama's decline, do we anticipate undecided top recruits to think hard about USC? I think recruits are going to think hard about USC regardless because it's a program on the rise. They're going, you know... It, we, I believe in what Lincoln Riley is doing at USC, that they're going to be consistently good, and that's going to attract recruits. Uh, what's happening in the SEC this single season? Does that help USC? I don't, not necessarily. You know, some of the, you, you have to win to get those top five star guys in a single season. But there was another question uh, about recruiting. It was something, you know, does it help or hurt with the way the defense is playing? And it, as long as you're winning, I don't think it hurts you because then you say, man, you, you see, we're winning, but if we just had you at this position, you know, how much better would our defense be and we could potentially be elite? Um, whereas if you're losing, it makes it much harder to sell that. Um, so I, I think recruiting is doing fine right now and will continue to do well because when you're winning, people want to be a part of a winning program. This Recruits, uh, the fans need to understand this. Like, recruits do not watch the game like you do. They're not following every, like, Alex Grinch is terrible. He needs to do this. Or I can't believe they missed an extra point. Like, recruits barely know who won. Like, they're not, like, following this, most of them. Uh, they're not following this like you as a diehard USC fan. Like, just don't look. You can't look at it from that prism. Like, that's what their point of view is. That is not their point of view. There was a ton of recruits behind me coming off the field in that game. And that's sort of, you know, but they were with their families and stuff when they were when we were ready to come off the field afterwards. And yeah, I don't think they were like, everyone was like jumping around all happy and everything, but you know, they're at the Coliseum, they're on the field, like they're having a good time. They're, they're, you know, you see the moms like taking selfies and all this kind of stuff. They're not concerned about all the stuff that you're concerned about. Like, well, if they do this against, if they play this way against UCLA, Zach Charbonnet is going to run for a million yards. Like they're not thinking like that. Like that's just not in a recruits mindset. So it just, Put yourself in a different point of view. These are high school kids that are like looking to go to school somewhere, and where it's going to be a cool opportunity. They're, what, what's they're, fun? What's the, where's the pageantry? Where's the where's yeah. everyone having a good time? 
Um, it's not all X's and O's, especially with 17-year-olds. Yeah. Yeah, but I think you're right. They'll see eight and one, and they're not always going to be looking at, well, you didn't really blow out Cal. That's not exactly how the recruits <laughs> watch the game. You had to justify the hype. Like, there was a lot of hype, and you, you got some good recruits, like a Rayleigh Brown and guys like that, on the hype of Lincoln Riley coming to USC. But you also needed some tangible results. You know, you, you opened your, you had these awesome recipes. You're like, this is amazing, but you haven't eaten any food yet. Now, now he's cooking these meals, and you're like, well, that's pretty good, you know? Um, and so now you have these, these awesome meals to serve to your guests. And everyone's like, okay, I recommend this restaurant. This is really good food. And Ryan, when's, when's signing day? Uh, December, December. December. So when you get to December, how many people are looking back at how an October game played out? They look at, was it a W or was it an L? And Lincoln Riley mentioned this last night. He said, you know, that you, you want to win games much more convincingly. He said, but at the end of the year, people look and see whether you won or lost rather yeah. than how exactly did it now if you get he said that and the one caveat is you are potentially dealing with a committee that is going to look at those type of things and decide your fate right so but in general if you win you advance you know in in, in the eyes of the public so you know USC moves up a couple spots cuz they won if they lost like Alabama or Tennessee you know they drop down when you win, you go up. When you lose, you go down. It's the general consensus. And, yeah. we're, and we're only talking about defensive recruits. You look, if you're an offensive recruit, what what more do you want than this USC yeah. offense that's producing with a seventh string wide receiver? If you think you're a two star to a five star wide receiver, you're looking at this offense and saying, "I'm going to put up seven thousand yards in this offense." If you know Jordan Addison was doing it, and now look, Michael Jackson's doing it too. I think if you're an offensive recruit, you want to be a part of this. If yeah. I was an elite receiver, I would reclassify. If I was a junior right now, I'd reclassify. I'd come in for a kill. And yep. if you're like, you know, fast forward to like mid December when the guys are on the, you know, on TV or on their streaming channels with like three hats in front of them, like no one's going to like reach for the USC hat and go, nah, here's the Oregon hat. You know, just USC didn't beat Cal by that much. <laughs> so I'm going to go to Oregon. Like that's not the mindset. So just get out of the fan, like uh, super hyper affected by everything USC football does mindset. That's not the recruiting mindset. Someone's going to do that, though, eventually, and then we're going to be kind of shocked. Right. They're going to say, well, you know. You USC missed be, an extra point against did you, Cal. Did you I'm going to go to Oregon. Did you see the onside kick decision at Arizona? <laughs> I, don't, I just don't know if I want to be a part of that. There, there have been a very, you know, the thousands of thousands of thousands of recruits we've dealt with and the national recruits over the years. There have been like one or two that have been like, I was down to these two schools, and whichever one, that's where I decided to go. Right, which is, but which that is, is really so rare. rare. Gerard has a great story. Gerard Martinez, like, you remember Manti Teo? He loves the Manti Teo. The Manti Teo story. Like, he's literally on the field. He goes on an official visit to Notre Dame, uh, like November. They're playing Navy. It's snowing. Navy's beating Notre Dame. Students are throwing snowballs from the fan, from the stands at the Notre Dame players while he's down there, like raining snowballs down on him. And he still went to Notre Dame. So, like. Obviously, he didn't really give a crap about what happened in that game or the fact that students were throwing snowballs at their own team. So, Well, and I think you look at uh, some certain schools around the country, look at Miami, which has not been winning football games. They're still getting recruits, so I think it's not all in you know the X's and O's, and sometimes it's more about personal relationships and seeing where you fit in a certain scheme. We've only got a couple more questions. This one, I think, is an interesting one. Who do you think is the fastest player on the team? That comes from Andrew on YouTube. Mm. Demonte Jackson. He ran 10... <sighs> Damani, Rayleigh could be up there. something last year or yeah. whatever. Two and two. I don't, I don't remember his exact time, but he was the fastest in California and it was faster than everybody else's times that are on the team right now. So, Damani Jackson. Yeah. 
I think if you had to go offense, probably Jordan Addison. I'm not making it more complicated. I'm just answering one question. Yeah, or Ray, Ray Lake's <laughs> up there too, I think. All right, Ryan, maybe you can start us off with this one. Uh, Kane on YouTube asks, does you does Oregon lose one of their next three games? That's Washington, Utah, or Oregon State. Uh, yeah, I think they're going to lose one of them. Uh, they've been playing really, really well, but this is a tough stretch. And uh, we know how tough it is to go into Corvallis and play. That Oregon State defense is for real. might be the best defense in the Pac-12. Um, you know, Utah's a team that can come in there and win. Um, you know, Washington, you know, there's p- potential there too. So I think between what, if they, if they you know, go through those three undefeated, that's going to be pretty impressive. But I think they're going to lose one of them. All right, and another question, Chuckin. This one's for you. Uh, Walker Lamer on YouTube asks, before this ends, please talk about the upcoming USC basketball season. So do you have any thoughts you were at practice this week about USC basketball? I just hope that uh, my, my biggest uh, takeaway from stopping by practice um, is that I hope that Vince Iwichukwu gets cleared to play because he is an absolute monster. He's seven foot. He has gigantic thighs, gigantic calves, and he moves He moves around. I saw him kind of slap boxing, playing around with one of the uh, assistant, the uh, student managers, whatever, and he just moves so gracefully. I can't wait to see that actually in action on the court because we have him listed in our database at 220 pounds, seven foot one, 220 pounds. He is now 248 pounds. Now, part of that is, hey, he's not been able to do as much cardio, so he may lose a little bit, but he's, it's, it's good weight. It's not like he's putting on bad pounds. He, he has been an update on him that I put in on the Peristyle for those that are, uh, you know, that are members that you would have gotten this information on Friday. But he was, is, has been able to work out with the team, you know, doing the strength training and stuff. So that's a positive development going forward. It's step-by-step, baby-step-by-baby-step for him, but some positive strides there. So hopefully everything goes well for him and he can come back from the cardiac issue that he had during the summer, you know, and, and can get back healthy and, and can get back on the court because I think he's going to be an absolute monster and a game-changer for them. Other than that, other than the guy who's not playing right now, USC is going to be a four-guard lineup. They can shoot the ball. The question is going to be what happens on a night when it's not falling. Is there going to be that night because they have eight or nine guys that can shoot it? It's not like they got three guys and, hey, if a couple guys aren't uh, playing, uh, aren't shooting well, what happens? Uh, they do have some creators. And as long as, as long as they play together and create for one another, it's going to be a really fun team to watch and, and could really surprise some people in the Pac-12 despite kind of the, the lack of depth at the post position with Josh Morgan starting, Harry Henderson, kind of uh, – not Henderson, Harry, Harry Hornery. Harry and the Hendersons, that's where I was going uh, with that. Yes. Uh, classic 80s movie. Harry Hornery uh, as the backup there right now because they're a little banged up uh, there and Kajani Wright as well. So um, it, it's going to be interesting. It'll be fun to see them tomorrow open the season and see what they have because it's going to be a new look USC. It's going to be much more – much closer to the Dunk City vibes uh, that uh, that Andy Enfield had at Florida Gulf Coast, where it was four guards, two guard lineup, two point guard lineup, where you're trying to really push the ball, instead of what USC's had the last you know four or five years, where we're going to put get the ball in Evan Mobley's hand, we're going to get it in Isaiah Mobley, Onyeko Kongwu, we're going to go through the post because these are NBA dudes and you want to use your NBA dudes. Yeah, it sounds like USC's found their linebacker partner alongside Eric Gentry in Vince Uchuku. If you want to have the two tallest linebackers in college football history, if he's like actually two forty eight. Or a spy. There you go. Uh, last question from Andrew. I wanted to end on this one. He asked, does SC have the team to win out? Yeah. They certainly can win out. Uh, I mean, only three games on the regular season. 
You can beat Notre Dame. I mean, Stanford beat Notre Dame. So you can definitely <laughs> beat Notre Dame. Uh, Marshall beat Notre Dame. No. Notre Dame also beat Clemson. They also beat North Carolina, and they beat Syracuse. So, I mean, it's a – but you can certainly – it's not like Notre Dame's not unbeatable. Like, Stanford beat them, and Stanford's god-awful. Uh, Colorado is garbage. Just They're just terrible. Um, and they beat Cal, which is crazy. Uh, and then UCLA is really good. But you can, you know, you can win that game. I mean, that's going to be, you know, lots of offense, a lot of fun. It's really winnable. And and I think anybody in the Pac-12 championship is is beatable. Now, if Oregon goes through and is just, like, mauling everybody in the last three games of their schedule, like, that might be a lot tougher of a game if you're going to play Oregon in the uh, – in the championship game, but there's USC has the talent, and just with Caleb Williams, they have the talent to win all these games. So yeah, I think that for the Pac-12 sake, they should hope that Oregon wins out and USC wins out, because then you're going to get potentially, at worst, like number five versus number six in the championship in the championship game, game and someone's going to move into the college football playoff because you're going to have a one loss. I think that that's at, at worst they'll be ranked at that. Yeah, um, going into it just because the way results happen, but. Yeah, USC is definitely talented enough to be able to win out. Do they have to play better on defense before those last two games of the regular season? Yes. Yeah, they definitely have to play better. I think I agree. And that Oregon matchup might be five versus six with two Heisman finalists as Bo Nix is one of those guys that we thought could end up True. in New York, which that would be, I think, a crazy game. UCLA, if, if they beat USC and don't lose for the rest of the year, might end up being ranked that high. But I think you're right for the Pac-12. You, I think you want to have USC and Oregon. I also think it's probably the best matchup of any of the four teams that we think are in play for the Pac-12 title game. Uh, but we'll see. USC plays UCLA in a couple weeks. This week they play Colorado. Do you guys have any thoughts before we wrap it up and send it into this weird week where USC plays on a Friday? Dale had a, a comment that I wanted to put out there. Okay. It's not a question. It's a comment, so I saved it for last. Dale Wise said, people always just complain. I guess they don't remember when we were perpetually, that'd be USC fans, I guess, one of the most penal or USC itself. I guess they don't remember when USC was perpetually one of the most penalized teams and never had any timeouts because Clay Helton couldn't manage the game. Fair. I would agree with that. Yeah. People always do complain, even when you're winning, um, unless you're blowing out every opponent. And still then, someone will find something. There's always going to be something like, you know, if you're an Alabama fan, you can complain you lost two games, you might not make the playoff this year. Like, that's, I mean, there's I, different levels of complaining. I think Lincoln Riley's raised the bar to the point where, like, wow, this team's really good. Wait, you stuck stuck on offense this game or defense or whatever, and you know, you're not complaining I'm about a, something. Uh, you know, I'm from Georgia. I went back home during the bye week, hung out with some friends. Several of them are Georgia fans. Uh, you know, some family members, Georgia fans. There were plenty of complaints. For the defending national champion. Defending champions. national champion who were undefeated. undefeated. <laughs> you know, we haven't played anybody. I don't know what's going to happen. Beat Oregon by seven touchdowns. You know, RDBs, our, our wide – we got McConkey and that's it is our wide receiver. <laughs> like, all these things. Everyone's going to have a complaint. doesn't matter. Yeah. They, they pretty much just go and blank the number one ranked Tennessee Volunteers. Yeah. It's, it's what makes college football so great, though. There's all this subjectivity. There's always complaint. There's always this. Uh, my coverage better than yours. We, if we played this schedule, like, there's all this talk. That's just kind of what makes college football awesome. True. It's like there's a lot of it, you know. In the NFL, there's very regimented. And you're like, we're going to play this division versus this division this year. And then you finish this high. Your, your schedule is this level. And there's, you know, all this crossover stuff. And you're the Super Bowl. Every, just, it's very systematic. College football, there's just so much that you could just argue about. And that's why we love it. I think it's a big part of why we love it. Well, yeah, I mean, the NFL, it doesn't matter whether you lose by 30 or you win by one. It's a win's a win and a loss is a loss. And if you lose, you're picking higher in the there's draft. No voters, you're not you no know, down committees. in recruiting. Yeah. 
Well, yeah, we've got a lot to sort out this week. USC practices Monday and Tuesday instead of Tuesday and Wednesday. I think the Pac-12 or the college wall playoff rankings again will come out uh, at uh, at night on Tuesday. I don't know where you guys think that USC ends up. My guess is probably eight, right where they are in the AP poll. I think they, they move past Clemson and Alabama, but LSU makes the jump because they beat the Crimson Tide. But yeah, I would expect the USC. LSU with two losses, including the Florida State. At home. Yeah. I know. We just won. But USC doesn't have a quality win. That's the thing. USC, it doesn't matter where they're at right now. They could be eight, but if they go into those final two games and they beat a top 10 UCLA team that's top 10 in the college football playoff rankings, and then they beat Notre Dame, who's going to be in the top 15, maybe. You know, they're 20 right now as far as the AP poll. If you win a top 10 game and a top 15 game back-to-back going into the Pac-12 championship, suddenly you you are going to jump. the L- You will then re-jump LSU, I believe, because then you could say, well, we have a quality win, um, and you know it'd be similar to Alabama's because Alabama is going to be down around ten at the same time. Yeah. So it will. I think the Alab. Granted, in the national scheme, it, Alabama versus UCLA does not look like the same, but on paper it's going to be a very similar thing. And then you know you're going to get some weird, terrible answer from the committee member about why they put LSU in front of USC instead of just saying, eh, "There's the SEC. SEC." Yeah. Yeah. And Oregon State <laughs> ended up losing because they they had a quality win over Oregon State because there was a road win against the ranked team. They're not gonna they're gonna drop out because they end up losing to Washington. So they Washington could still probably. climb back in. Washington jumped into the uh, to the AP poll, so you probably see them in there. Yeah. So it's gonna constantly be that way. Yeah. But if they went out they'll be fine. So it doesn't really matter. And I think the difference between USC and a lot of teams, especially all the one-loss teams, is USC has one of the more quality losses. Uh, At first, it was, you know, Alabama having a very quality loss to Tennessee. And I guess this one to LSU still is a quality loss. But USC is probably the only one-loss team that I look at. It's like, they lost by two points on the road. One point, point, sorry. On the road in a very loud environment, as opposed to Oregon, who got blown out by Georgia. Or Utah, even, who, who lost by big on the road at UCLA. And you can say the same thing about UCLA and Oregon. So I think USC has that going for them, and we'll see if they win out the rest of the way. Colorado this week, then UCLA, then Notre Dame, and we'll see where it sits from there. But that's all we've got for you guys for today's show. Thanks for tuning in to Tunnel Vision. Thank you, Shotgun, for coming out to California. I know you're going to be here for tomorrow for, for the basketball game. I hope you're enjoying your time in Los Angeles. But that's all we've got for you guys. Thank you for being active in the comment section. As always, leave a like on the, on the stream. And if you're on podcasting platforms, leave a five-star review and follow the show. That's all we've got. We'll be here on Tunnel Vision on Thursday again for USC on Friday against Colorado. That's all we've got for you guys. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you later this week. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.